Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with me, Jilly Smith, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week, we're talking about food and identity again, one of my very favourite subjects, this time with the Hebridean baker. I just love a bake with a story. And it just makes me chuckle that the mother of the bride, rather than, you know, giving her daughter a big hug when she arrives home from her wedding. No, she doesn't do that in Shetland. She grabs a big piece of petticoat tailed shortbread and smashes it over her head. Kanyach MacLeod has cooked up a magical story of the Outer Hebrides, packed with ancient myths and recipes that have captivated a massive TikTok audience. Well, I had to begin by asking how he did it. Do you know, I wish I knew the secret, but it is honestly such a joyful community. And starting on TikTok, you know, I'm 48, so people kind of chuckled at me starting on TikTok. But I think more than anything else, it's about authenticity. It's about warmth, storyline, but more than anything else, character. People buy into people and people want to follow a person's journey. And I think that luckily for me is what I enjoy doing. And luckily it's resonated across the world. And how fantastic is that? I mean, uh, with all the digital stuff going on and all the horrible things going on in the world, what it comes down to is that numbers count and numbers say we love people. We love connection. We love getting close to people who talk their truth. How wonderful is that I mean people I mean to to, to think that there I, I get messages from around the world I probably get maybe around 4,000 to 5,000 messages a day which is phenomenal and I always promised myself that I would reply to every single one. Now, that's when I used to get like five messages a day um, but for somebody to reach out and say I'm going to try that recipe or um I've never heard your accent before. I, I know I want to learn more about the Hebrides or this is the first time I've heard the Gaelic language. How can you not reply? Because it's so exciting that people are interested um, in your identity or storyline and that makes it so special. Absolutely. Well, let's give people an idea of what that storyline is. I'm in Lewis, East Sussex. You're in Lewis, Outer Hebrides. We are (laughs) fellow island people, but we live in a very different world. Just give us an example of, of what's happening outside your window right now. Well, as I look outside, I can see I can see my brother, my poor brother Mordo, who is battling against quite a tough day on the island. It's very windy. The rain is beating down. He's got his oil skins on, and he's got about forty sheep uh, that he's <laughs> that he's checking. Um, you know, he's 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 brought them away from the ram uh, now. The the sheep, and they're now going to be fed for the winter before the for the lamb lambing begins in April. So that that's right outside my window. But it's you know, for those uh, of your listeners who haven't been. It's just an idyllic place. It really is very special, quite unique. You know, we are we are part of Scotland, we are part of Britain, but we're we're a wee bit different <laughs> um, in its people and its uh, and its look. Um, and I would love people to visit because I think they'll see something uh, that maybe they've never expected to see 
um, in in our own country before. In in the modern day as well, it's very unchanged. Isn't it? I mean, listen to me, I've never been there, but just reading your book and looking at the gorgeous pictures, it's very unspoiled. And you are a teller of its story. You are a keeper of its history. You are a promoter of its culture. And I want to talk about that. Um, I'm very interested, as you probably know, in food and identity and the kind of the narratives that make us feel more of who we are. Uh, we love n- narratives. We That's what Instagram, that's what TikTok, that's what modern culture is all about. It's about clear narrative lines. And this is what you've done with the Hebridean Baker, isn't it? First of all, tell me why you wanted to do that. It's your second book. What's What's the idea behind really kind of capturing that culture through its food? Well, honestly, it's I can even pinpoint the moment when I decided uh, to do this. Um, I, I learned to bake from my aunt, my aunt Belak, who is ninety-four, and I know we'll talk about her because she's my absolute we hero. Um, she's your first we food were, moment too. <laughs> we were sitting by the stove, and um, she was just telling me a story about her wedding day, uh, which had been seventy years previous to that day and about the traditions and what they ate on that day. And I thought to myself, I don't want people on my island to lose or forget these stories and traditions. And I thought, how how to do this? And I thought through the conduit of food and recipes to be still able to tell the other stories. Because you'll find in a lot of my, um, be it Instagram or, or, or TikTok stories or in the book, Yes, the, the, the food is there, but the storyline of the food is, is about my language or about the, the mountains or, or my family. And, th- and that, that to me is, is, is very important. And so that's why I started. And I started to create these wee videos, making recipes, but telling a, a story about the island uh, above that. And goodness... They just seem to resonate. I, and as I said, I thought maybe a few people on the island might enjoy them. But I think now they've been watched by 27 million people. And I definitely know, Julie, there's not 27 million people on the Isle of Lewis. <laughs> so there's definitely some people off, off the island watching them. <laughs> well, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I wanted to throw a, 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 a quote at you. I've, I wrote a book called Taste and the TV Chef, which is all about telling stories that we kind of then step into and it's by an academic uh, whose name is sue thornham and, and, and she talks about the cultural embeddedness that seems to offer stability and coherence to an identity that might otherwise seem fractured and unstable and i think that that is a kind of the curse of the modern day is that we do feel fractured and unstable but we yearn f- for that stability and coherence and i think that that's why these books around food and identity are so popular right now so it is about your culture and it is about your people but actually the way that people resonate with that is because they want to feel that i mean is that what you set out to do or is that what you felt from the response to it well um gaelic is a a wonderful language and there is words in gaelic that are quite hard to translate into English. And there's one word, kianalus. And kianalus is, some people mistakenly uh, translated as maybe being homesick, but it's not homesick. It's about a feeling, an identity that you are craving, an identity that you feel inside you. 
even if you've never been to the Hebrides, you think, no, there's something pulling me there. There's something about the identity, the storyline, the people that, that, that wills me to, 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 to travel there. And I think that that's a big part of, of why the, the Hebridean baker and uh, the books and the storylines, ha- people have enjoyed them so much because they've, they've nearly willed themselves into thinking, I want to be part of this community. Um, maybe in, a, in an outlander way, you know, when the lady presses her hand against the standing stone and appears in a different, <laughs> in a different place. <laughs> I think a lot of people maybe aspire for that to happen to them and to appear into the Outer Hebrides. Um, so I think that is a huge part of it. Um, I always wonder if I was just from, I don't know, Manchester, would my bakes be enough? You know, I, I, am I the best baker in my village never mind the best baker in the Outer Hebrides I don't know um so it's it, definitely the storylines that come with it's, that it's having something to say it's food is story which is the whole point of of this podcast certainly um I think it's huge I think it's incredibly important but you know one of the things that dilutes culture is movement most of us move away we're moving around the world we move away from our families and that's where culture becomes more unstable Uh, the more stable cultures around the world are those that don't necessarily move but on a tiny little island like yours you move a lot people move a lot but they come back and in the book you write about leaving lewis you say there's a saying in gallic Today in the Potatoes, Tomorrow in London. And it tells of the adaptability and work ethic of the island folk. We're as comfortable in a pair of wellies driving a tractor down to a one-track road as we are in a suit running a multi-million pound business. There's definitely a pioneering spirit amongst the Hebridean people. Now, to be able to have that kind of dual identity means that you can stay there and you can kind of build a culture because you're going to go off again and you're going to enrich yourself. You've just come back from Nepal, for example. I mean, how does that work? Why do you keep coming back? Um, You're right. There has been um, a culture over the the last 100, 200 years of the feeling that people on the island have had to leave to potentially come back. Now, that could be everything from my father, who was in the Merchant Navy, um, my mother, who had to go into service um, uh, off the island uh, before she was able to come home um, and have a family. And there's, I think, a few reasons for that. Economically, it's a challenge. You know, there isn't um, the economics to keep many young people onto the island. Um, And often you just aspire. You know, you, you, you watch TV, you see all these magical things that other people do. And there's a certain age when you think, oh, I want that. Then, of course, there's a certain age when you realize... You don't need that. And the things that are important are your community, your culture, your identity, your language, your people. And so there definitely is an age aspect to it. But you're right, we have a lot of um, new people on the island. And that comes with huge benefits. It does come with some challenges uh, as well, because they don't have that natural... uh, um, passion for keeping the culture and identity alive. So there is definitely a balance 
um, of we definitely welcome people to our islands with open arms. Um, but we want to make sure that they see um, that our culture and identity is very, very important. And if I can play that tiny wee part in that, uh, then I'll be very happy. Yeah. I'm also very interested in rupture, in, in the idea that people are taken away from their land and that sort of aching soul sort of lives on elsewhere. And tell us a little bit about the clearances. That's the big story in Hebridean history when people were forced away from their land. That's right. Um, certainly on, on my islands and even the, the villages very close uh, to me, um, there was a certain point in history that um, for the landowners, it was more profitable to have animals, sheep or deer than people. And they were able to um, just take the people off the land, take the land off them um, and in, initially, it was to other parts of the island, um, but then uh, very quickly the realization that it was better for them just to be um, really cast away, like literally cast away. And, and that's why there is such a strong um, heritage of um, American and Canadian Scots because the, the boats were picking up hundreds. You know, if you look at this, is, this year is the anniversary of the, the Metagama, which is one of the boats that sailed from Lewis, from Stornoway across uh, the Atlantic to, to Canada. And for, to find themselves, imagine coming from a, a wee croft on Lewis and suddenly going on this treacherous journey across the Atlantic to find yourself in a, in a forest to suddenly be felling trees. Mm. These people would never have seen a tree before. We don't, we don't have trees in the islands. <laughs> so so the, the, the cultural shift was so significant. And you see a lot of that in song and in poetry that mm. uh, has been brought back to us uh, from uh, mm. North America. Um, and there's, as I said, beautiful songs that are written about. There's, there's one uh, I, I, I love that is from the perspective of the a mountain in Canada and the mountain talks about how welcoming uh, how welcomed these Gaelic speakers were to to the area but then they started to lose confidence in their language lose confidence in their culture and they started to speak English and lose their traditions and how sad the mountain was that they were losing this and um, but when I did travel to uh, Cape Breton uh, for part of my Canadian tour uh, last year I've never been so heartwarmed by the fact that I was in in a different country and I was speaking Gaelic. There were people walking past me in the street speaking Gaelic and they were they had been able to keep their culture and identity really strong. And we need to make sure that we're doing that back at home as well in the Hebrides. Yeah, and that's a fantastically interesting point, isn't it? Again, it's that rupture that I'm so interested in. When people go away from stuff, they 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 stabilise the memories because they have to, because you have to, you know, home is where the heart is and, and food is such an incredibly important way of keeping that memory alive. Let's let's go through some of your food moments. The the first one, I can't even pronounce it. I'm looking <laughs> at this word and I have literally no idea how to pronounce it. Your chocolate top dufts. Yushtin? Tell me. Uh, so... Ushjan. Ushjan is, is a man's name. Uh, and uh, it, it was named after Ushjan um, because of part of the story. But I think um, the most important thing here is the duff. Um, 
Duff is absolutely the Hebrides' most cherished and most celebrated bake. And it's very simple, Julie. And on uh, on the mainland of Scotland, um, they will call it a clouty dumpling. And many of your listeners will have heard of, of a clouty dumpling. In Gaelic, we call it a duff. And honestly, if you want to find the way to a Hebridean man or woman's heart. If you if you if you aspire to get married to a Hebridean man or woman, first task <laughs> learn how to make a duff <laughs> because they will love you forever. Um, and it's there's technique. It's it, to be honest with you, one of the things about my uh, recipes and in the cookbook is it's there's not many recipes that need significant technique in them but this one there is some technique in it because it's a boiled uh, fruit cake um, so you've got to get the the muslin tied correctly you've got the timing of it um, not to overboil it not to dry it um, but probably the biggest difference because it's a boiled fruit cake it has this unique skin on it and what we do is you put the muslin out on the table and we flour, heavily flour the, the, the muslin before you put the batter into of the cake into it. And that gives you the skin. And it's one of these love or hate things. I, you know, I, I love it. Um, but I know one of my brothers, I've got three older brothers, they always pull the skin off and just eat it as a fruitcake. <laughs> but it's one of these, the way we eat it, um, when day one, it's just all about slice, have it with a kappa, and enjoy. Day two, it's more like a, a, a pudding. You would um, cover it in custard and have it as a dessert. But everybody craves day three. And day three, um, we have it as part of our full fry up. We fry the duff with bacon and sausages. And I'm literally salivating just thinking about it. Please, somebody make me a duff. Uh, this, <laughs> so everybody craves for day three when they can fry the duff. You, put it this way. You don't, you don't buy my book for a fitness plan, Jerry. That's for sure. <laughs> These are big, hearty, wholesome dishes. But duff is certainly one of my favorites. It, it kind of goes with the word drink. For me, you know, I love that's one of my very favourite Gaelic words. But you know, the words that you've written in your fo your food moment around this, you know, suet, dried fruits, black treacle, these feel like very ancient British foods as well. You know, you are very connected to the kind of the Britishness, um, despite the kind of the, the the words that I literally can't pronounce. Um, I mean, how <laughs> British do you feel? Goodness. Um... I I would definitely say I am first Hebridean and then second Scottish. I don't really um I don't really have a, a significant identity to the to the, the kind of the, to the British culture. I think um there's a few reasons for, for that but certainly in the Hebrides remember we used to be part of Norway. Um we were part of Norway for 400 years. So we look north a lot um rather than south. And again for those of you who don't know much about the geography um, where we are, I'm closer to the south coast of Iceland right now than, than where you are, Julie, uh, in, in Lewis and Sussex. So we are, 
we are nearly Nordic uh, in, in, in our identities. So I think that plays a big part uh, in, our, in our culture uh, as a result. Yeah. And um, in, in my second cookbook, I actually put a chapter of Nordic Bakes in um, just because of that, because we feel very connected um, to, to that. Our language of Gaelic obviously comes from the Irish Gaelic, uh, Gaelic language. Um, and Julie, if we were speaking this now, if you were speaking in, in Gaelic and I was speaking in Gaelic, we could sort of understand each other. But because Gaelic, sorry, Gaelic came to us when the Vikings were looking after us for 400 years, um, we have a lot of old Norse in our language. And so even my village, I'm from a village called Cromor, uh, which is a wee village uh, on the Isle of Lewis. And Cro is the old Norse word for cattle or cow. And moor is the Gaelic word for big. So I'm from big cow. The next village uh, is called Krobik, uh, which is wee cow. And I was always very proud growing up that the, that the Vikings thought that we had bigger cows <laughs> than the next village. <laughs> um, so when you put these t- types of things in context, you know, it's, it's we're certainly a wee bit different, wouldn't you say, Julie? Yeah, and it's very alien. I mean, you say that the, the first question a Hebridean person will ask translates as, who do you belong to? Yes, Kosahau um, is the first question. Um, even though maybe the being called Kanyoch when you leave the island seems very different, but on the island, there's really only about five men's names and five women's names. And we're all... Our surnames are all McLeod, Mackenzie, or MacDonald. So asking uh, what's your name is not going to give you any advantage to who you are. So Kozahau, um, we have a thing called the Slunyurag, where you are called after your grandfather's nickname. And so depending on who you speak to, you might talk about your paternal or maternal uh, grandparents. And uh, then you will say, well, I'm... Kanyach, Morhian, Time, or, you know, what, 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 you know the, you, you're Slanyarach. And straight away, wherever you are, are in the world, people will go, oh, I, I, I knew your grandfather, yeah. or I, I knew yeah. your auntie. And so that, I mean, that's just a natural part of our identity yeah. is talking about our history, even, even now to, to identify ourselves. Yeah, fantastic. Although, you know, your second, third and fourth food moments are all very Scottish. Um, let's talk about your second one. This is about the Scotland's Hogmanay celebrations, which we just just had. Um, it's the first footers martini. Tell me why you chose that one. <laughs> well, I think the first thing is, and it, oh, it did make me chuckle, was um, I remember doing a, a radio interview once and the, the, the interviewer had counted up how many recipes had whiskey in them. And I had no idea that so many had. It genuinely wasn't uh, intentional. It's just such a wonderful Scottish flavour. And depending on which whisky you use, um, you will get a different flavour from it, be it in a bake or in a cocktail. Um, so uh, a first footer is a, a very wonderful Scottish tradition where you hope to welcome a tall, dark, 
handsome man at your door after midnight in Hogmanay. Now, I don't know about you, Julie, I think inviting a tall, dark, handsome man at your door after midnight is good at any time of year. Absolutely. I, why wait till Hogmanay for that? Um, but I think, I think it comes from the fact that if a tall, blonde-haired man arrived at your door, it's probably a Viking who's here to do some pillaging uh, at your house. You're probably not so popular. So that's why it was always a dark-haired man that uh, was, was, was more popular. And he uh, would arrive with three things, a piece of peat uh, or coal, depending on where you are, um, a black bun, which is a, a, a quite a hearty fruitcake, as you probably know, um, and a bottle of whiskey. So again, who wouldn't want to be welcomed uh, uh, into the door in that way? And that, again, is a tradition that comes from um, Scotland. But actually, for us, Hogmanay, we, ha- we, we call it Eichhalvain. Um, Julie, your, your galley's going to definitely have to improve uh, to, with all these uh, different things. But Eichhalvain is our version of, of Hogmanay. Firstly, it was on a different date. Um, it was in early, early January. But as our calendar changed uh, onto the, the calendar we have now. We also kept those traditions um, for Hogmanay. And so when I was growing up, as part of traditions, we would visit every house in the village. We would perform what's called the Thuain. It's, um, it's a Gaelic poem that celebrates the end of the year and the start of the, of, of the new year. And the people you would visit, it's, an, it's like a, nearly like a good luck charm for them to have the youngsters of the village do that. There were some quite dark traditions that came along with that. The oldest uh, boy who would, do, who, would, who would do the visit would be wearing a, a lambskin and take um, really like a, a candle uh, which was um, uh, with him, which was lit. And as he came into the house, he would go to the, the, the mother uh, or the grandmother of the house and uh, turn the candle around the head six times. If the candle went out, there was going to be a death in the family that year. If the candle stayed on, then there was pros- there's prosperity for the family ahead. And so those traditions were seen as kind of Good luck and fortune for most people, of course, if the candle stayed, <laughs> stayed on. But um, all these things come into the fact that Hogmanay is so important to Scotland yeah. and so, and Eichhalvin the same to, to the Hebrides. Yeah. So the first, the first food is martini is simply a classic um, espresso martini, but with a wee twist, having whiskey in there. Uh, and oh my goodness, I think if I was a first footer and I got this when I arrived at the door, I'd be absolutely delighted. <laughs> <laughs> As we all would. <laughs> you know, those myths and legends and traditions and rituals, they, they weave all the way through your book, don't they? History too, in your third food moment, is all about Mary Queen of Scots. It's about shortbread, but that was her favourite biscuit. Tell us about that one again, very Scottish. Yes, very Scottish. So you can imagine when you're Scottish and you're writing a cookbook, oh my goodness, there is big pressure to get your shortbread recipe right. Right. You can imagine. (laughs) I'm trying to think, I'm trying to make that relative to other countries, the pressure of one recipe to get it. And I must admit, the questions I get over shortbread are more more than any other. And each part, each part of Scotland will have their own twist or, or 
or moment um, uh, on shortbread. But very much um, shortbread was introduced by um, the French chefs of Mary Queen of Scots when she returned to Scotland. And uh, this was absolutely her treat. Um, And so, of course, it was elevated. You know, it became this thing that, well, if you have shortbread, then you must feel part, you feel really royal because you're having that with you, your kappa. And now, of course, it's, it's just a fundamental part of, of every Scots, uh, you know, afternoon uh, with their kappa. Absolutely. And also used uh, to traditionally baked by the mother of the bride and broken over the bride's head as she entered the marital home after the wedding ceremony. This is the particular Shetland bride's bon. Yes, a bride's bon. So, well, I just searched high and low, you know, the furthest north to the furthest south to find what I thought could be the best shortbread recipe. And, you know, there's always a twist, you know, you've got the Abernethy biscuits, you've got the traditional, is it going to be in a petticoat tail or a finger or a round? But the bride's bond has, I just love a bake with a story. And it just makes me chuckle that the mother of the bride, rather than, you know, giving her daughter a big hug when she arrives home from her wedding. No, she doesn't do that in Shetland. She grabs a big piece of petticoat tail shortbread and smashes it over her head. <laughs> and the, the, the goal of this is that all the guests run towards the bride to catch a piece of the shortbread. And then they will put that under their pillow at night. So it's, called, it's also uh, translated as dreaming bread because you're supposed to dream of your future husband or wife that oh, evening. Lovely. And even if you don't, if you wake up at three in the morning, you know, a wee bit hungover, needing a glass of water from the, from the wedding, you've got a wee tasty treat under your pillow that you can have. So it's a real win-win. It's a win-win, exactly. Um, but- <laughs> <laughs> your final food moment we probably have all heard of, the cockaliki pie. Um, soup. Great soup again, something for a wonderful treat day. Well, I think there's one thing that Scots do very well. Actually, probably you could say British people do very well is make soup. I love soup and I don't know anybody who doesn't enjoy this time of year, a big hearty bowl of soup. And that was my first task this morning. We had, uh, we had, my brother has, as I mentioned, has a a sheep farm here at Croft. And so we had uh, his mutton last night for dinner. And so what's bubbling on the stove this morning to make the stock, but the bones from from that. So we'll be having soup tonight. Um, But, you know, when you think of the, the, the wonderful soups made or maybe traditionally made in Scotland like uh, Cullen Skink, Scotch Broth and that wonderful advert, Jilly, I don't know if you remember it, um, I think it was for Norse stock cubes um, in, was it the 70s or 80s where um, the uh, the husband was wondering where the, the wife was going and she was saying she was off to Inverness to get uh, to get a chicken. Um, but she was actually going to a strip show. And I still can't believe the story. This is a, a TV advert. And, but the next day she made pea and ham soup. And um, the man sat there going, pea and ham soup? from a chicken and uh, this was the classic line and it doesn't matter how many times you make pea and ham soup somebody from Scotland will say from a chicken <laughs> and so a wonderful identity of that but there is one um, there's, there's one thing when you're making a cookbook you know you sit there and you've written all these recipes and you're excited about making them and you've tested them and then the photographer comes and you know, you've got to make it look beautiful and you're all excited about that. And Susie Lowe, who's my photographer, a wonderful photographer from Edinburgh, 
I brought through the cockaliki soup because that's what was going to be in, in the book. And cockaliki soup, the three main ingredients are chicken, leeks and prunes. And it's a clear soup. And so when she was photographing it, she was like, can you, I don't know what to do with this. This prune keeps floating about and it just looks terrible. And I, was, I looked at the photos and I was like, oh my goodness, Susie, I totally agree. I don't know what to do with it. So I trudged away thinking, okay, I've got to find another recipe and that kind of thing. Um, but that evening I was making dinner and I had all this chicken, leeks and prunes. So I thought, you know, I'll just make it into a pie. I'll slow cook it and, and, you know, put some pastry on top and that'll do us for dinner, for a quick dinner tonight. And my partner, Peter, um, my sister-in-law who helps me uh, with my, with my recipes, we were all sitting around the table and they were like, this is the best thing you have ever made. (laughs) And I was like, should I put this in the cookbook? They were like, oh my goodness, put this in the cookbook. (laughs) So it changed from cockaliki soup, say that that was on the Monday, to cockaliki pie uh, on the Tuesday. And it is an absolute winner to the point I was very kindly invited on to um, cook for Holly Willoughby and Philip Schofield on this Mm. morning. And uh, Philip was like, this is so tasty and even messaged me two days later to say he had made it at home and how, how much he enjoyed it. So I think it's one of my favourite things to do is take a traditional Scottish recipe like cockleaky soup and just give it that tiny wee twist. Um, there's another recipe in my book. Um, everybody loves a hot toddy at this time of year. And so I've made a hot toddy cake, a hot toddy bun cake. So taking the, the cake, be it it's a lemon and honey cake with a beautiful whiskey uh, drizzle on top. So that wee twist on a, a Scottish classic, just it makes me smile. Uh, I hope it makes other people smile as well. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I was going to ask you, you know, with all your platforms and, you know, if you do set yourself up as the, the cultural cook, you've only got so many recipes on your island. If you're going to do local seasonal, well, you know, you're going to be limited. It's that ability to reinvent, isn't it? To to take those little twists and give it, you know, your real Hebridean baker spin. How many times do you think you could do that? How, or, or rather, what, <laughs> what's the pressure on you to be able to pull new stuff out of the bag? But honestly, Julie, it's my favourite thing to do. I just absolutely love it. And it even comes down to... Uh, just the, the cookbooks that I have. Uh, one of my favourite cookbooks is um, The Scots Kitchen by F. Marion McNeil. 1929 uh, was when it was first published. And uh, just looking through that book and being inspired by her stories and the names of the recipes. And I recently found a, a cookbook called The Practice of Cookery from the 1820s. Uh, her name, she, she also had a uh, kind of pseudonym uh, like myself. She called herself Mrs. Dalgairns. Even though she was Canadian, she had Scottish family and c- close Scottish connections. She was, she was born in Prince Edward Island. And her cookbook has 1,424 recipes. I feel a lightweight. Mine's only got 75. And so looking through her cookbook and this, her cookbook was for uh, beginner housekeepers. You know, if you were going to become a housekeeper in a grand house, that was the book you needed to have. And so there's a lot of Scottish, uh, British uh, kind of uh, bakes in there that again, I can use. So, you know, yes, there is... uh, 
pressure maybe makes a sense if it's a negative, but it's a wonderful pressure because, you know, I, I think to myself, um, you know, I, I put in my first book uh, tiramisu, but it's got it's a whiskey tiramisu. And I, I think that there's probably a, a, a kind of a nonna in, in Italy who's cursing me for, for, for doing this. <laughs> but there's also lots of people in Scotland and around the world that it'll make them smile. Thanks for listening. Now, as I've just joined Substack, I'm asking my guests for a little Cooking the Books extra to post along with the episodes. You can find me there. I'm Jilly Smith on Substack. And this week, you'll hear the lovely Kanyoch, who's appeared on the Eurovision Song Contest, sing me a classic Gaelic tune. <laughs> <laughs>